This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. And I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Mark. We're going to take a couple episodes to talk about biblical decisions. Life is full of decisions, big and small, and as Christians, we want to obey God and be wise. Unfortunately, there are a lot of models out there that may sound spiritual, but are not founded scripturally. So, how do you make a good biblical decision? The only way that you can really talk about good decision making is, first of all, demolish all of the really, 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 really bad models that uh, go on out there. Okay. Um, I mean, let's let's face it, we're constantly making decisions every single day in every, uh, they're, they're usually small ones, but there's a whole lot of them, and the big ones matter, but even more importantly are some of the ones that seem to be small, but long-term they have consequences that we never you know, anticipated. And so one of the things we do as pastors a lot is just help people think about their decisions. And other times we just sit there and watch the consequences that decisions bring to people. And then we try to figure out how we can help them. So today what we're going to do is just kind of work through some of the big models uh, that people in the church, because I think in the church, most people want to make a good decision. They want to make one that uh, honors God, right? I mean, it's not like they wake up and say, how can I do a train wreck today with my life? But Usually not. Yeah. No, but but what they, <laughs> they do is they approach it in some of the worst possible ways because you've got so many people talking into the ear, telling them it's this or it's that, right. and um, it's devastating. And I would say for some of the ways that people do it, it's it's flat out wrong. It's it's not biblical. It's not that it's unwise. It's it's um, borders on evil uh, for some of the things. So with that kind of an idea, I, I just kind of, I think we need to give some sense of categories of, of how we work. So uh, when you look at anyone's decision-making, it's going to fall into one of three categories. Uh, really two, the third one is a combination, but it's going to be in the subjective world or the objective world or a mix of the of both of them. So let me let me quickly explain the subjective. That's um, probably the most common way you see it. Um, it's people who are depending on yourself um, and your personal experience. Now that can cover a huge uh, array of decision-making models, but it's ultimately you and your your experience, what you believe happened, or you saw, or you felt, or you experienced. Um, and and the end result is there's a lack of consistency. Um, it it becomes difficult to anyone to speak into your life about it because. It's your experience. It's it really starts and ends with you, and so often it it deals with this false idea, but it's a very popular idea of one's perfect will. We want to be in the perfect will of God, and and I say that because I grew up in that. Um, there was a time in my life where I spent an inordinate amount of time trying to know: Am I in the center of God's will or the perfect will? Um, and it, and yet, it ultimately came down to an extremely subjective approach to how, how to make a decision. Matt, what what's another one? Well, it, it is the, the polar opposite of that, um, <laughs> which would then be the objective um, decision making model. And this one is is sort of a rejection of that. Um, and this is where you you find um, 
categories that are outside of you, um, categories that are sufficient then for making a decision outside of you. Um, and so this one would say that there's not a perfect will for each of us um, because you're not trying to get into that secret mind of God, you know, whatever that means. But instead, the decision, there, there's objective criteria outside of you, and that is, in our view, the clear commands of Scripture. Um, so, you know, there, there might not be a specific Bible verse that you can find for the decision you're making, but there's certainly biblical principles, and these things are defined by the Bible. <laughs> well, and, and we're going to talk about that in another podcast of then how do we make a, a good decision or a, yeah. one that is God-honoring, um, and it's obviously going to be right. centered on the on the Bible. But, you know, it's important for people to understand when you're talking about the perfect will, you're getting into the level of detail in people's lives that's astounding. I mean, everything has, it's always being asked, is this God's will for me? Is this God's will? Yeah. And we're going to make an argument that that's not how the Bible right. describes it. And in and, fact, there's a lot of freedom Yeah, when you take the objective approach. So even though we're going to be bashing all kinds of views tonight, cool. um, yeah, we're, oh we're also going to be hopefully setting it up so that people can understand that there's, they're actually more free than they realize they are mm -hmm. um, if they can just simply understand how, how God would have us make a decision. So the third one is, again, the combination. Uh, there is still a high view of God's Word usually in a person's mind, but still there's this consistent influence of your subjective perception, your sense, your, your feelings, and um, we're going to reject that as well. Uh, we're going to make an argument for that objective uh, aspect of understanding God's will and making a decision. So yeah. um, with that. Yeah, let's jump into some some bad decision-making models. The, the first one is what we're calling devices. Um, these are devices that people use. So just some examples of these would be things like numerology, coin flipping, you know, the rolling of the, the die, um, picking cards, rock, paper, scissors. And, you know, <laughs> people may la laugh and say, oh, come on. But you'd be amazed at how many people yeah. are making a decision on that. We were just joking a, a moment ago because our Facebook for the podcast had 666 likes. Right. And it's like, ooh, you know, and, and yet it's just a number. Right. So, the, you know, for instance, people will say then, you know, let's flip a coin. God's in charge of whatever it says. You know, and they might look to something like Proverbs sixteen thirty three. You know, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision's of the Lord. Um, or, you know, this has to be God's will because it has the number seven on the price tag. I actually <laughs> know people who have done that. I know a person who bought a uh, fur coat simply because of the numbers on the price tag. I'm, I just looked at it. I do that like, all the time. Yeah, you're a fur guy. I mean, if it's like low enough, I'm. <laughs> No, no, no. 70% off rack? Yeah. So, pe so people do this, though, and it's bad. We'll, we'll, we know from... We'll talk later. Yeah, Mark. yeah. Okay. Um, Just saying. You know, Leviticus 19.26 flat out forbids any kind of divination, which is what those things are. I mean, you're rolling the dice, you're expecting the divine to sort of, you know, reveal to you what the right path is or the right decision. Um, people need to hear that again what 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 the bible would treat that method in as and they it would call it what it divination yeah yeah 
It's witchcraft. Right. And we were like, oh, come on, it's flipping a coin. No, we are literally claiming that the mind of God is going to be revealed to us because mm-hmm. we have flipped a coin or we have, it's no different than if you were to go into Africa and you see the guys with the bones and they shake them out on the ground and they read it. I, I literally listened to a story of how they would cut open a goat. They would sacrifice a goat, and then the witch doctor comes into the uh, compound, cuts open the goat, takes out the liver, and then reads the shape of the liver mm. to divine the mind of God. And and I say witch doctor, but these were Christians mm-hmm. who called their local witch doctor so they could mi- know the mind of God. And 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 then a Western Christian would say that's that's wrong. But what is in substance? What's different? Right. It's between a domesticated that? version of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we even have, you know, Deuteronomy 18. I mean, these things are detestable. They're forbidden for God's people. Um, and, you know, those things are referred to as the practices of, of pagans and unbelievers. And so they're trying to figure out the mind, the secret mind of God through some natural altering of the physical. And that's just divination. You know, with this, though, we're, we're pointing out to Old Testament passages. Um, and so people will say, well, you know, that's, that's Old Testament law. So that, that doesn't apply for today. You know, let's go to the New Testament, you know, things like that. Um, but we would say that the Old Testament law reflects the mind of God, um, the very character of God. And so they shouldn't be dismissed. There's just certain principles and um, things at work regarding God's character behind all of the Old Testament laws. And so I, I would say you, would, you should be careful not to dismiss those. Um, you know, we're not judged according to Old Testament law, but they nevertheless reflect his perfect nature and, and character. And so you, you can use Old Testament law to establish principles that you should either go toward or run from. Um, you know, but we, we, I think we'd also say in this that it's important to remember that these kinds of activities seem innocent to people. You know, I, don't, I mean, they're all well-meaning people, you know, people throwing die or picking a card or something like that, and they are, but... Um, you know, it is nevertheless a bad approach because it's what the Bible would call divination. And so we would say this is not good. <laughs> no. This is not a good decision-making model. And and it should not be chuckled over or treated lightly, though it is, um, unfortunately. Yeah. And another one, um, this is, I, I find it still very common, is we're going to put out a fleece. Yeah, again, how, how spiritual Right. I mean, yeah. we're just going to lay the fleece out for God. And it's taken out of uh, uh, Gideon, uh, the story of Gideon in the book of Judges in chapter six. Um, and so you'll hear people say, God, if you let and I'm again, I'm going to say I've done this. Uh, every one of these almost yeah. I've done. Yeah. And so I'm I'm <laughs> I'm talking to myself um, but if, if you let such and such happen, then I'll know it's your will. Right. Um, I know of a woman who literally prayed, if God would bring a robin to her kitchen window, then she would know that she, and it was a major relational decision in, uh, in, in with regard to a relationship. She would know that God wanted her to do it. And a robin showed up. And so she's like, you know, obviously God's in this. And you'll, you'll hear, hear people, you know, it's just a God thing. But the reality is if you actually look at Gideon's fleece and the story behind it, um, in, in verses 12 through 14, God 
clearly says his will. He tells Gideon exactly what he wants him to do. There's, mm-hmm. It's not hidden in strange language. You know, he's not That's talking. Yeah, right, right. He, he, he simply says, this is what you're going to do. Um, and what Gideon does is instead of obey, he then instead comes back with, well, what, what if we put this fleece? The and test. then yeah. he's not good enough, so he does it again. And this is actually in violation of the command that you're not to put God to a test. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so when, when you look at the passage, in especially verses 36 down to 40, um, God shows incredible grace. This is not a lesson on how to make decisions. This is a lesson on the grace of God in the midst of our own folly. Yeah, it's, you know? it's actually the opposite of what these people... If if wanting it to if, yeah if God had treated him as he was deserved he would have been struck dead yeah. I mean he had no right to question God and and do it but God in His grace and mercy did it but for us to think well therefore we can do it and God's going to show us the same mercy and two that He's going to bless it um, is is folly upon folly yeah. so that's um, just the culture we live in though because you hear all over you know it's kind of a funny thing like God just give me a sign but. It's most often just, uh, I'm not ready to obey yet, so I need to assign that this is the right way to go or whatever. Another thing that's super common is dreams. I hear that all the time. God gave me a vision or a dream. I'm in a bad mood over that one. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it feels spiritual. Right. Very. I feel like I'm, you know, exercising a lot of faith if, you know, I put, I ask for a sign and then I wait for that sign. Um, you know, so it, it, it feels good and right and holy. Right. And, and who doesn't want to have a dream from God? Right. Yeah. Well, dreams. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be super scary. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking, oh. Well, yeah, but they're ne- they're almost never scary in, right? It's oh, always a no. really cool one, right? No, the ones you hear yeah. about. Yeah. It's like the guy who said that Jesus showed up to him while he was shaving. I'm like, dude, if Jesus oh. really showed up to you while you're shaving, you would have cut your throat. Right. Yeah. You know, there, there's no... Irreverent. Just yeah. do a superficial examination of all the times God, or even, in, not even God, even one of a God's messenger. angels yeah. shows up to people in the Bible. Yeah. They yeah. always yeah. fall flat like dead men, you know? <clears throat> yep. and, well, according to Bill Johnson, though... It's it's God's means to communicate truth to us. So well, I, I I wonder should we trust the Bible and these people I? or or yeah, yeah Billy Bethel Church yeah yeah well speaking of dreams that's one of our other decision making models is a bad decision making model um, this one's really common though so let, let's say you're in the midst of a major decision and and you have a strange dream or maybe a very vivid one right you know that's the one I always hear is it was just very clear and very vivid and very powerful and I woke up and I remembered every aspect and detail of it. Um, clearly this was a message of, sure. of God, yeah. Yeah. you know, but on this one, we have passages like Ezekiel chapter 13 verses one through eight. I won't read the whole things, but he's got very strong words for these, these false prophets. Um, you know, uh, things like, what are you foolish prophets who are following after your own spirit and have seen nothing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, what are you prophets of Israel who prophesy, um, from their own inspiration, mm. you know. So the, the the passage is just laced with these. And again, no doubt that they had profound quote prophecies. Yeah. Um, but God is saying, "This is not of me. This is of your own inspiration, your own thinking. You've seen nothing." You know, it actually reminds me of the conversation I had of 
with this guy who had gone to another state. Uh, these churches would gather together and have this like weekend or week long conference and, and they wanted to hear the voice of God. And there was all kinds of prophecies that were done during that time. Well, he actually took note of them all and he could not find any of them that were ever fulfilled. And they were never visited the next year when everyone got back together about, you know what, here's all the prophecies that we heard. These were the things that we declared God had given to us, revealed to us, and 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 here's how they all were fulfilled. Not They were never talked about again, but, but everyone walked away with this great sense of God. Ezekiel would say, mm-hmm. I'm against you. Right. I'm mm-hmm. against those men. They, they're false. They're liars. They're doing this according to their own spirit. And that's the same thing with the dreams. People who come up and they just, they want to tell you how you're going to change your life or what, what you should or shouldn't do based upon their interpretation of your dream or their own dream. Um, yeah. I, I mean, boy. Even the warning in verse 7, um, did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares? I mean, that's a common, such a common phrase. The Lord declares. And then he says, but it is not I who have spoken. <laughs> yeah. wow. it, it, again, you just said, thus saith the Lord. And, and then the, the greatest level of folly comes out. But you don't dare do it because he's God's anointed. He's, right. a, he's a recognized prophet in our church. So, who, 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 right. of how course, you, I shouldn't marry argue, this man. How do you argue against someone who is speaking on behalf of, of the Lord? Which is what I said up front. Yeah. With, uh, the challenge with the subjective decision-making is you can't you, – when you try to appeal to them – they keep coming back. Yeah, but I had this dream. I had this vision. I or or my pastor had this, and they they laid hands on me and they prophesied over me, and you're like, all right, have fun because there is nothing you can. It, it, the the decision is ultimately made upon your own feelings, your conviction that it must be true or it feels so right, rather than something outside of you, which is going to have to be the word of God. So yeah, yeah, yeah and t- to be. To be completely blunt, this is this is a a reality that's major in the charismatic movement. Um, it it laces every aspect of the charismatic movement. And what's difficult is so many things are justified in that world under the statement that you know this is the Lord speaking. You know, and they're usually quoting Joe two. Joel chapter two, or the fulfillment of Joel two from in Acts chapter two, where it says, you know, you're your old men will dream dreams and your young men will prophesy. Um, and so clearly this is a reality that happens today because of those passages, um, which is not what those passages are even speaking about. Um, but that's a, a devastating thing at, at, at the leadership level of a church, any leadership level. Um, you, you are guiding a whole flock of people on a major presumption. Yeah. And I, I, I think that can't be underestimated. Um, one of the, probably weightiest things on for me as pastor is, and especially as the years go on and I get older and I've stayed here longer, um, my, my words carry consequences, huge consequences. You know, you have people coming in and they're in a tough situation. They ask you for counsel. And, and when you're done talking, you, you see people and they're nodding and they're like, okay. And you, you just realize I've messed with these people's lives. I better, right. <laughs> I better have said right. Yeah. I better not have been foolish. Um, 
And I've learned over the years to be better at saying, I don't know. I really don't know what we should do. I can give you some guidance, but I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, and, and then you'll turn around, watch leaders, and they're telling people who they should, shouldn't marry, buy a house, move, yeah. take a job, don't take a job, on and on and on. And it's like... Well, you're not even throwing a thus saith the Lord on the end of it. And people are following that counsel because yeah. they trust you. And, yeah. you know, they should, hopefully, if you're if you're proving yourself faithful in the scriptures. But, I mean, this is a whole world where the scriptures, you know, it's a broad statement, but in reality have not much to bear on really anything. No. And it's a lot of this subjective sort of dreams and signs and fleeces and prophetic, cool. you know, utterances. Well, it's, it's like tongues. You would think when you listen to so, some people and some teaching that tongues captures a central place in the New Testament church, mm-hmm. and yet it shows up briefly in Acts. It's mentioned in passing. Um, uh, I, want, I want to say it's in Romans. And then three chapters dealing with its abuse in right. the Corinthian church, which is not a model for any church to follow. No. Um, and that's it. And 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 it, and yet it's all about it. And and it's even less about things like prophecy or dreams or any of that. None of that exists. Mm-hmm. And yet um, yeah. it's, it's used to a huge degree. Yeah. And again, the, the problem with this is people are genuine. I mean, no doubt that there's genuine people, even in a lot of the charismatic churches in our cities. Um especially those who aren't in a leadership position, but what they are doing is simply what's being taught and modeled for them. And that's the challenge. I mean, I don't care about the leaders as much. Um, You know, it's not like they're asking me to speak into their, (laughs) but when there's people I know, um, especially friends from past and I, and I know what's happening to them, you know, that's always a struggle in my own heart because how do you, I, I, I can't win. I can't win when all I have quote is the Bible but they have direct access to the mind of God. Right. So, well, well and you, you add to that, then they also have websites, literally devoted to interpretation of dreams. You can go there, and and depending on what you see, it then tells you. And these are some of them are not, but several of them purport to be Christian. Yeah. And again, it's just like this is divination. This is. I I think it's it's a wicked process. Um, I don't think, like you said. All the people doing it are wicked. Um, I think that just like when they're tossing a coin or setting out the fleece, they genuinely want to know the mind of God, uh, but nobody has taught them. Um, simply, yeah. here's what the Bible says about it. So right. hopefully we're, we're at least provoking some people as they listen to this to at least take a breath and think. Yeah. So what, what's, another, a, what's another one? Yeah, okay. Uh, we've all heard this. Uh, we just need to wait on the Lord. We just need to wait on God. And, I mean, we even got great Bible verses, right? Um, Psalm 4610, be still and know mm-hmm. that I am God, right? I mean, how do you argue with that? One of those passages, yeah. one day we're, we have to do a podcast on misused scripture um, because it's one that people mm-hmm. use horrendously. Um because it's not even a text that's talking about decisions. Uh, the command to cease, um, literally to cease striving, uh, is dealt with in that psalm in a very specific way. It's dealing with people who are watching injustice around them grow, and they're growing anxious over it and mm-hmm. wondering when when will God act. 
and and the challenge is and the and the direction is stop stop worrying stop fretting stop thinking you got to do something and just wait and God will act when God is ready to act um, and then the other famous one is the Isaiah forty. 31, you know, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, et cetera, et cetera. And so people just tell you, you know, Matt, you just got to wait upon the Lord, you know, and he He will cause you to rise up like an eagle. And wow, it's like, ooh, I, I want that. Yeah. But again, it's it's got nothing to do with decision making. It's dealing with don't trust in our strength, but rather trust in the strength of God. Um, and it's in the midst of great adversity that he's talking about that. It, again, it's not talking as you have to know, do I take this new job? That's, that's not even in the vision yeah. of the prophet of Isaiah. Um, but here's, here's a harsh reality, and it might be a rude wake up for some people, but it's really j- this method is usually just a cop out because um, what really happens is most people are afraid to make that decision. It's, it. it's a big one. Yeah. And they don't want to make it. And so they're just going to wait. They're going to wait on God. Mm-hmm. And when God moves, and they'll know. Now, how they know, nobody knows. But they'll know. Um, then it'll be uh, done for them. But the reality is what really happens is the consequences of waiting <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, passivity like, sh- d- decides for you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, should I buy this house or not? I don't know. I'm just going to wait on God. And it sells. Well, see, it was not God's will. Right, it's right, like, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boy, that that's wrong on so many levels. But it was really just a cop out. You couldn't make yeah. the decision, and you were trying to be spiritual, and so you just waited, and life moved on. So, so common. And yeah. then there's others. Yeah. Uh, another one is just the idea of your own circumstances. Um, you know, you often hear it in the language of, you know, opening and closing doors or windows of opportunity. You know, if, if God shuts this window, he'll open this door. You know, these kind of... Oh, no. <laughs> wherever, really nice. wherever the Lord closes a door or wherever a door is closed, the Lord opens a window. I mean... It's something. Yeah, that's awesome. That's deep. <laughs> deep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. But the, the problem with that, of course, is... You know, it's it's fraught with opportunities for your own personal agendas, and and your that's, own that shocks your me. own selfishness. Well, <clears throat> what I didn't you're, think you're any of these had to do with their personal in. agendas. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so people people ask God to arrange circumstances or do something ahead of time, and then when it comes to pass, they just assume that this was then the right decision. Um, <laughs> when really they just orchestrated that thing. Um, well, and it and it again is open to their interpretation of what constitutes an open door. Or a closed door. Exactly. It's amazing. Yeah. It's this subjective thing. You know, an example of this that, that we were just thinking on is, you know, let's say you're um, thinking about becoming a missionary to India, but you're then turned down for a visa. You know, so there's now you're faced with all kinds of options, right? Right. All kinds of decisions. It's don't go to India ever. Don't be a missionary. Don't go to India right now. You know, as maybe God's testing me. I need to try again later you know some real spiritual people it's satan you know he's preventing this um you know or maybe it's not india it's somewhere else and now i need to mystically figure out where that is Um, in other words all of those are possible right but how do we know yeah now you're just faced with another decision um (laughs) and that's the struggle with it is every time you say well it's a circumstance or this or that you're always faced with a decision in the moment that 
that opportunity or that circumstance is gone, you just have more decisions. Yes, it's it's not helpful because it never really solves a real problem or meets the need, right? Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, at that point, you go to, um, I just don't know what to do. I'm going to wait upon the Lord, or I'm going to put out the fleece, or I have that dream. And so all of these kind of... And then, yeah, and then ultimately that one, you know, people are typically going to interpret their circumstance than in light of just what they want to be true. Yep. You know, so if, if it's who to marry, who I shouldn't marry, what house to buy, where should I take a job, where should I go to church, you know, it's just like, you know what you're going to ultimately decide anyway, so just, <laughs> just skip the the spirituality of it and just get to it, because at the end of the day, you don't know that this was God, and you'll never be able to give a rationale other than, well, this was the circumstance. But the I, circumstance presented more decision. I had this one guy who was seminary trained, too, and he was in my office talking about a situation that came up. This is years ago, so it's no one here. Um, I, I look at you as the other seminary guy. and But um, he, he was talking about how he, he didn't know what to do, and he was just asking God to open a, you know, really open the door to guide him. And I'm already starting to feel uncomfortable as he's talking. And then he explains what happened. And it happened in a certain way that he showed up at a supermarket, saw the person, the person actually saw him too. So they start talking. He's like, you know, it was just so obvious what God wanted me to do. He says, those are just God things. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at him and said, why? And you can imagine the conversation kind of went downhill from there. But I'm like, you have done nothing but interpret various events, and they all magically fit what you wanted to have happen. And so so that leads to another uh, one. That's just your feelings. Um, I don't know if people have ever done it. I know of people who have done it. Um, Goosebumps, chills, the warm fuzzies. Um, The most common one is I just don't have... I'm not at peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not peace, right? Definitely. And I'm like... Or I had a sense of joy. Yeah. Well, they got a Bible verse. I mean, John the Baptist leapt for joy in... The womb of goodness. Sorry, I'm not fair. You're just <laughs> no, you telling us all about that one, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. Uh, you know, how, again, how do you how do you fight against a lack of peace? Um, I I I can say, well, Jesus didn't have a lot of peace about going to the cross. Yeah, for real. Praise God that He was not yeah. interpreting that as God's the Father's <laughs> will. You know, he, no, sure. but sure. but it's true. So he, true. Yeah. He, he had no peace about it, but he did. In obedience to his father, go to the cross to be here, sin bearer. And so, why no, don't you say that being a Christian, if you're not feeling discomfort very often, then that's probably a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. The Christian is constantly swimming upstream against right. our culture, and so you're always making you're always making hard decisions, unpleasant ones, and they don't bring you peace. They oftentimes bring you hardship. Um, yeah. I mean, whether it be a faithful husband, a faithful wife, or a faithful parent, or a faithful employee, you're you're constantly making then difficult decisions because it's it, you're not going to feel happy. Um, what you work from is a conviction that this is honoring to God. Um, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible are you going to get people arguing that your decision should be based upon my feelings about. <clears throat> About something um, again, just think of Christ, and you, and you see it. But um, there, there's passages that we could look at. But 
the one I, I, I think that's sufficient for us to just look at our Lord and say, hey, he, he says, if you are willing, take this yeah. from me. I, you know, I don't want it. But he knew it, it was his will. And he said, not my will, your will be done. And had no bearing upon how he felt, yeah. not, yeah. none whatsoever. Yeah. And, um, you know, Paul was cast into the prison in and here he is facing the certainty of death, and you know it, it, there was no joy, there was no fun, but but there was the certain certainty that he knew whom he had believed in and had entrusted his soul, and that was sufficient. Right. So I'll be faithful to that. Um, if if people can stop allowing their feelings to control why or how they act as husbands, wives, employees, citizens, whatever it is, um, they're already going to be. Mm-hmm. Far, much farther than they were prior to that. Yeah. Well, another thing that people go to is the inner voice. We'll just call it that. And this one, this one is the idea of impressions or promptings or, you know, hearing that still small voice. God, still small voice. Oh, God. Um, but no, it's a. Uh, it is a bad way to make a decision. I grew uh, up with this one. People told me that all the time. You know what, Matt? I think you just need to be silent and and try to listen for that small voice of God. And, yeah. and you're like, okay. I didn't know what that voice was, but... Yeah, yeah that was a I, super common thing. I remember he was like, how quiet you got to be? Like, well, you got to be still. And know Your that ADD I am God. is just going nuts. Yeah, so like, I, hear, I hear something that the voice is in. <laughs> well, I, I was talking to a guy, um, and he's, you know, he's not... He wouldn't say he's charismatic or Pentecostal. He actually goes to a Baptist church. And he was telling me, he's like, look, this is just our Baptist version of, of hearing God's voice. You know, and, um, you know, we all say as Baptists, I just feel like God is, you know, impressing upon me or, you know, he's prompting mm-hmm. me to do. And I just yeah. told him, like, I don't say that. I don't say, <laughs> I don't say God impresses things upon me or prompts me to do anything. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but people do this. They'll say he's impressed something upon me that I should do this or not do that. And to be completely honest, there is some level of reasonableness with with that claim. Um, and the reason for that is because there is the Holy Spirit, and He does His convicting work. And so sometimes you're going to have that that conviction either for something good or bad that you should do that you shouldn't do. Um, but I would also say that that we know the Spirit always works in conjunction with His Word. Um, and so you, you're never going to have an impression or still small or anything like that that is contrary to the word. You know, right. There's a lot of, you know, charismatic people that would say, well, of course, you know, anytime God speaks, he always speaks in accordance to his word. Um, but on top of that, you know, distinguishing them between this impression of God and, and conviction of the spirit, I would also argue can be tricky. Um, one, because it must be in line with the scripture, but we all know that there's so many different interpretations of scripture. Yeah. And so this yeah. is where it gets a little messy. Um, and they just have they just have bad interpretations, um, or they'll just justify something as being biblical when in reality it's not. You know, they'll say, "Well, this is what the word says," and they can twist it and make it say something. But, sure. um, but really, you know, if you do have an, an impression, it should be in line with the word. And in the, the example I have for this is, you know, God wants us to evangelize people. Well, that's a clear mandate from Scripture, right? Um, but then they'll say, "So I'm going to date this unbeliever for the purpose of evangelizing." Him, him right. Right. and that's just overtly contrary to what uh, the scriptures would say. Um, so there, there's this justifying and this twisting that can happen. 
I actually had the same thing different, though, but similar, was God wants us evangelizing, right, Pastor? Yes. And the most simplest way that we can evangelize unbelievers are to evangelize our own children, right? Sure. Therefore, we should tell the women that they should have as many children as physically possible so that they have a large number of people that they can easily evangelize for God's glory. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. And, and it, but it was, you know, it's like yeah. you're starting with here's what the scripture says, right. and now it's going down, and all of a sudden it turns a corner where it's like, right. no, you, you, you walked away from the word right there. Yeah, um, it's a weird application. Yeah, stop, yeah. stop right there. Well, and I'm not, I won't even get into it because I doubt most people would even know the passage. Um, but we, you know, people who say, you know, you got to listen for God's still small, quiet voice, whatever. Mm-hmm. It comes from First Kings 19, if they didn't know what that mm-hmm. was. Um, and I won't walk through the whole thing, but essentially it's, it's Elijah. Um, and God brings him, well, he's hiding from the queen. Uh, what was her name? Jezebel. Jezebel, yeah. Um, and he goes out onto the cl- cl- cliff of the rock and he sees three great elements. It's an earthquake, um, a fire. fire, and a great wind. Um, and God's absent in those things. But then all of a sudden this, you know, quiet, yeah, whisper comes in there was, was God's voice. And so that, that right there, I mean, it sounds good. It'll mm-hmm. write a good book. It'll probably yeah. sell really well. Um, but there's actually a really interesting parallel in that, that text. Um, and the, those three great, um, elements of nature are in reference to these people that Elijah's to go and anoint so that they'll be, two of them will become Kings, want to become a prophet. He's going to go and anoint them. And they're essentially going to be the deliverer of those who are faithful and bring judgment to those who have been unfaithful. Um, but then, so, so each one of those elements parallels to those two kings and a prophet. Right. But then the fourth parallel is that still small voice is in reference to God's great presence among the prophet. Um, and in so doing preserves the 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to, to Baal. So there's a very specific context there and something, it's not a principle for decision-making at all. No. Even kind of. It's a really cool passage. Y'all. I hope people will go back and look at it. Um, because if, if they will... Just look at it with fresh eyes and and follow what you just said. I think it's going to be very obvious to them that, and it's something that they never notice because it's again, uh, yeah. actually in my world that is an incredibly misused passage mm-hmm. as well, and people go to it all the time, but they don't even know. They've never looked at its context. They've always been told, and that guy was told by somebody else that this is what it means, and so yeah. their their eyes are almost blind to the text mm-hmm. there, and it's frustrating. Well, the bottom line with those ones is these these voices, these voices of God, or this voice of God, at the end of the day, we just, there's no way you're going to know that that was him. Uh, how do you, you know, how do you know? How do you know that was God? How do you know that it wasn't a deceptive spirit? We know there are many spirits in the world, yeah. mm-hmm. and you're to test these things according to First John. So you just don't ultimately know if it's God, um, even if it's for a neutral decision. You know, like, I should get the blue car versus the green car. What if you have or, a piece about it, though? Well, I mean, how do you, uh, Yeah. No. <laughs> so I'm just playing. I'm just I know playing. what you're doing. <laughs> so what, I mean, what would we say to that? We would just say, well, the one thing we know that we're commanded to do is to study and meditate on the scriptures, uh, to know what God has said definitively right. through his written and scripted word. 
Um, and then as you understand it and let it saturate your mind, you then cultivate wisdom and discernment based on that. So you think biblically, right? Yeah, but that's so not sexy. No. I mean, I, I mean, you've got that versus God visiting you in a dream or you putting your supposed fleece out and him fulfilling right. it. I mean, which one sounds and makes makes you feel better, um, yeah. you know, versus, you know what, I'm going to go back to the word. I'm going to become, you know, saturated with that. And mm -hmm. and I'm going to grow so that I can begin to make better decisions. And, and until then, I'm going to begin to set myself under the teaching of those who know the word well so that I can do it. Um, you know, th this again comes into the whole role of the pastor and and to equip his people um, so that they're they're actually functioning as faithful, wise mm -hmm. individuals rather than completely dependent upon him to hear the word of the Lord or right. to declare them the new latest greatest thing that he's felt has a vision or whatever. Yeah. So, it, I got two more things. So these these are actually um, good things, but they tend to get messed up in people's minds. The one is um, counsel. Um, yes, and, and we'll get into that in the, in the podcast on making a good decision. But yeah, you, you need to learn to go seek counsel and advice from others. Um, but here's where we have to also remember that we're sinners mm -hmm. and we're, we, we forget that we, when we're tempted, we're led astray by our own. Yeah, it's within you. Yeah, it's our own desires. Yeah. And so it's amazing how good we are at selecting our counselors so that we get yeah. the people who are already predisposed <laughs> toward it. us, right? Yeah. And and they're going to agree with us. And you see it on Facebook all the time. Somebody's like, I just don't know what to do. And then every fool in their mother is yeah. on there giving them counsel. And they're, oh, thank you, thank you. And it's like, none of these people you should be listening to um, but, you know, it's what they want to hear. So uh, just, yes, you want to seek counsel, but there's a context of how to do that in a wise way. And the second one um, is one I actually get really frustrated with is, and it's like this, hey, Pastor Matt, have you, have you prayed about that? And I, I've had that over the years as a pastor. It's like we're moving in a direction and somebody comes up, ah, Pastor, I'm just concerned, you know, have, have, have you prayed about that? And not only is that offensive, it's like, no, I, I don't believe in prayer. Um, thanks. You know, but I, I, I will come back to them. I say, I have. And they're like, maybe you should pray more. Well, what they're trying to spiritually say is, I don't like your decision, right. and mm -hmm. I don't think it's what God. And a lot of times, if you were to press them, they, they don't have a piece about it. Mm -hmm. So it's all of those other kinds of things. Yeah. But yeah, you should pray. But prayer is not a two-way process. Right. where I pray to God and then God speaks to me in some way through a fleece, a dream, or whatever. Um, prayer is us talking to God. P prayer is us presenting our needs, our concerns, our fears, whatever, to God. But the way God speaks to us is always going to be through His Word. Mm -hmm. And so we don't then be still and wait for the small, still voice or how we feel or a peace that is so great that we know it's of God and on and on. It's what does the word say? Yeah. And so to irritate, I know I irritate people when I do it, but I do it on purpose. People will say, have you prayed about it? And I will come back with this question. It's, well, how will I know if God answers it? And 
and their answer is very interesting how they will answer it. It's like, okay, I yes, I have prayed about it, but what what are you at some point you have to decide right. if you're not going to use the word of God, you're gonna to have to decide, God, okay, now God's answered this prayer. And and it's almost always a closed door, mm-hmm. an open door, mm-hmm. some sign. You know, you run into the person that you were just praying about, so obviously God knows. And so it's all of these other things. In, in other words, we abandon the word and we go right back into the subjective world. So yes, you want to lay these things before the Lord, but that doesn't mean that you then sit back and think that's in some subjective, mystical way God's going to then yeah. speak to you. And if you and if a person listening right now says, I don't agree with you, that's fine, but you can't prove it. Yeah. You, the best you can say is your authority is based upon your feelings, your sense of what God is doing. And if that's what they want to do, I mean, I can't stop them, but I can, I can say that they don't have a biblical leg to stand on. Yeah. So those, those are some ways that people make bad decisions. Um, uh, I, I'm sure we stepped on a few people's toes. I can only maybe encourage them by saying every one of those I've done. Yeah. Um, and I had to bit by bit repent of each one as God taught me and showed me in his word and through godly teachers a better way. So we'll talk about that on another cast. I'm just going to not end this yet because it's running in my head in conversations I've had where I start feeling like ashamed that I'm seeking out this mundane, boring, quote unquote, faithful life that's just based off of the word, but that doesn't look passionate on the outside necessarily. But on the inside, the more and more that I'm obeying or confessing my sin, I'm more zealous for the Lord on the inside. And that manifests itself outside with my faithfulness. But that's just, passion is just so poorly it's, defined in yeah. our culture it's, it's it's superficial and subjective you know I, and i can't prove it because i don't know the hearts of people but i've been around people long enough and you know in pastoral ministry you start to get a bit skewed <laughs> sometimes yeah. but um especially as you talk with quote pastors but um you know especially in that whole world and i'm thinking particularly the charismatic pentecostal world um i can't prove it but i think there's so much manipulation I think there's genuine pastors and leaders in those things, but I think a lot of it's manipulation and it power struggles and whatever. And, and they create this culture that, you know, enslaves people Yeah. Um, because it, it's guilt driven. It's just like, well, you're not hearing from the Lord enough. You're not passionate enough. You're not, you know, worshipful enough. And it's this external thing that has nothing to do with the heart or the inside. And so what we're going to try and show is how much freedom. Right true freedom there is in this sort of objective biblical approach where you, you function and operate in line with biblical principles versus this other, these other things that are, they're truly enslaving. And I feel bad cause I do have, I have a lot of friends in that stuff and I've seen it, you know, in many ways wreck their, not wreck their life, but boy, it puts them through a lot of stuff because yeah. well, it's just, they, they it stunts their growth too. Yeah. Right. I mean, it just, it, it becomes a cotton candy kind of, 
Christianity where you're looking for that big burst of flavor yeah. rather than the subtlety of a, of a well-made meal, if you will. Um, but they, they only have a taste bud that's prepared for it because right. all they're doing is from one experience to another to another, and they're trying to maintain that passion. And you know, we, we can think about even the manipulation when you know, your, your pastor does, <laughs> let's say, an altar call. Or they just want, you know, does anybody want to make a decision for Christ? I just and and they'll he'll pose it this way. I just feel, I just really feel God impressing upon me that yeah, that there's someone. somebody out there. Yeah, right. there's somebody out there that wants to come and make a, a profession of faith. Right. And so let's just in my world, it was every head bowed down. and every eye closed, which right. immediately meant my eyes were open. <laughs> right. Um, I'm and, always okay. And then the guy's up there and he's like, you know, if you, that's you. You know, just raise your hand. And then in my world, again, this is a Nazarene camp meeting, revival meetings. He he would say, yes, 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 yes. I, I, I see you. I see you. Yes. Okay, thank I you, see you, you over. But they'll be claiming things. Whole families. Oh, whole families just made a profession of faith. And you're, you're like you're trying to be obedient. So you're yeah. like, wow, God's at work. You have no idea. And I know for a fact, I've looked around and watched, there was no hands. Or it's the same people every week. Well, we actually you know, were thankful for them because that usually brought the service to a close. Yeah. But you you also have um, them saying, "Let's they let, we're going to close out with this song," and then he comes up and says, "You know what? God still says there's still some people." That's manipulation. That's but how do you how do you tell the guy shut up? Yeah, you know you don't want he. I mean he's he's your pastor. He's just it's like, dude. <sighs> How do you argue it? You yeah. can't, and you but can't. it's it, you are doing nothing more than manipulating, and the people buying into it are actually being used, even though they don't realize. It, and they're like, "Man, this is God's just really working." That's the devastating part of it is they don't know. Like I said, I don't. I mean, the leaders are pain; they're just a pain in the butt. But all the people sitting under them, who are well-meaning, good intention, this is the culture they now exist in, and so they're enslaved in that, and so there's guilt if you don't conform to that. Yeah, is in Ezekiel. God was not ripping the people listening to the dream. Right, mm. they're listening to pro, uh, priests. They're, yeah. they're submitting I mean, it's themselves. like yeah. So it's like these are the guys we're supposed right. to be trusting, and yeah. they're coming in with, "Oh, God's given me a dream, and it's this thing, and blah blah blah." And they're like, "Oh, that's great." You know, the thing that he becomes angry is that these are men who are not being faithful with um, their calling, yeah. which is to pull the people to the word and to bring them in the word. I mean, in the th these last days, right? There's going to be people who are filled with every vile pursuit within the church. Lovers of cells, lovers of pleasure, et cetera, et cetera. And those are subtle. Yeah. yeah, Very subtle. Um, also subtle. But his answer to that is not hear then the mind of God or pursue or lay your fleece out. He, he, his mandate to Timothy was so simple. Mm -hmm. Preach the word, therefore, yeah. mm -hmm. and do it in season and out of season. Just bring the word of God. And that's the only thing you can do in light of that kind of an onslaught. So to anyone listening, I, I just hope I hope that they will understand. And, and one thing specific to you, Lena, is that I know you're learning, so I'm, I'm mostly just saying it for others. You know, the Christian life is not one of emotional passion. The Christian life is one of, of faithfulness, mm -hmm. and it, it's boring. Yeah. It, it, boring in the eyes of... Right. A, a world that pursues everything, but but it's it's just that simple faithfulness and and you know we we tell people a lie when 
when they they think they have to have some massive experience from God when all they're doing is showing up faithfully into their home every morning and feeding their children and changing diapers and cleaning and you know, kissing a boo-boo and all those other little things a mom will do or dad trudging off to a job he really doesn't like, right? right? And just working each day. I love my job. Well, but not many do, <laughs> you know, and they come back and they then faithfully give their money and they pay their bills. Right. And yet God calls that person an honorable man yeah. or an honorable woman of God, a woman of excellence, somebody you should seek to be. And again, that's a separate issue too, but it it's something that's not being taught. And so we, we chase after these, yeah. these yep. passionate, exciting right. dream catchers. And in the, in the language... Of you know, I want. I just want more of him. I need right. more of you. Yeah. It's like, I don't know Which what that is so means. bad. That's just terrible <laughs> theology. There's no sense. You can't get more of him. <laughs> you, you have all Christ of him. Christ has already said that the Father is in you, the Spirit's in you. I'm in you. You got the Triune God within you. What do you mm-hmm. want? Yeah. Want more? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I know. I, don't, I have no idea. I know. I, they want to see more, experience more, feel more. I don't know. I don't know what that means. But to your point, well, if you go to Bethel Church, you get to have gold dust magically pour out through the vents yeah. or angel feathers. Hashtag. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I said, I think in another podcast, but it's like, we always want more of him, <clears throat> but few people are faithful to just what he's given, you mm-hmm. know, in his written word and his written revelation. Right. I said, all right. your time, efforts, energy, and prayers will be consumed by just trying to be faithful to what you have. If you just stay there. Seriously. And it ties back to your point earlier. I really like you said about the freedom. It's really funny because I think the misconception is that, <laughs> If you're bound by the word, that's not freedom. Right. And the opposite, but it's really the, 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 the popular yeah. consensus is, oh, I'm not, you know, right. I'm free. But it's like, no, it's, it's you. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's Hebrews 11, right? The, the great chapter of faith. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like by faith. Abraham received back his son, and by faith, a barren womb was this. And by faith, Abraham— Shut the mouths of lions. Yeah, shut the mouths of lions, and Noah built the ark and was saved, and all that. And he was like, yes. You know, and then that critical shift where he says, and by faith— Without even a transition. Nope, nope. And by faith, they were sawn in two (laughs) and put to death. And and it's like, whoa, 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 back up. I want the first half. And it's like, no, the reality is that— Noah, Abraham, I mean, we're talking, we can do it on both our hands, these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was countless yeah. over the over the centuries right. um, who were sawn and two, fed to the lions, cast into prison, raped, pillaged, beheaded, you name it. That that was God's will for them. And that's not a passionate You'll never existence. You'll never find sure. that I should be sawn in two by rolling a die. Yeah. No, you know. you know what? And God will never open that door for you. Mm-hmm. you, you, you not that as you interpret it. No. Right. You know, I, I've had people say, you know, I, I just don't have a peace. I've got little children. How can I go to the mission field? I'm like, okay. I, I don't even know how to argue that. If, if you don't have a peace for it because you're worried with your kids, then there's bigger problems for you than that. Right. Um, so anyhow. Those are bad models of decision. Don't do them. And Don't. then listen to our next one where we talk about how to do one. Relax. I, I really do it. hope that they'll come, though, and, and listen, because it's not rules. It, they're going to discover, like you just said, there's so much freedom. Yeah. And they can, uh, they can stop walking in the guilt, maybe, that they have over the fear. Am, am I in the center of God's will? Am I doing what God would want? It's like, 
you know what? You, you, you can know what God wants, and then there's joy and freedom in that. Yep. Right. So tune back in for that one. Peace. Peace.